And how about a little air hug for the preacher? Good to see you. Good to see you. You may be seated. That's the most exercise some of you have gotten in a couple days. Well, I'm going to have to agree with Sharon in that little Christmas video. Didn't that just touch your heart? Just about all the opportunities to be able to, to be involved and connect with some people. Uh, Christmas is my favorite time of the year, too. I thought I'd show you a couple photos from the Miller household. About a week before Thanksgiving, we put up our Christmas tree. And uh, uh, when I was a boy, uh, I lived on a farm, and, and I would plow the crops. You know, that's what I did, and look at the cows. And, and I would spend months looking for the perfect Christmas tree. And uh, I would find that that would be my job, and then we would go out and uh, as a family, and we'd go and cut it down. And uh, I, I tried to bring that tradition, but there's just not a lot as many Christmas trees it seems to be growing around anymore, and going to Lowe's was not, uh, not the same thing. So I, I broke down and, and got a, a fake tree last year. But uh, we have a, on our mantle, have the manger scene, little stockings that uh, get filled with joy. This is kind of my favorite one this year. Uh, my three-year-old Henry uh, went shopping for everybody at the Dollar Tree. He wrapped the presents and he arranged them under the tree. So, uh, uh, but the bad news is I heard that uh, his daddy lost my Christmas present, and I'm a little concerned about it. I don't know if he lost it or if he took, uh, if he took it. But uh, Christmas is a special time of the year. Uh, I, I, I love all the joy that goes with it. I love seeing family. I love... Uh, I love uh, uh, hanging out with Santa Claus, and I love seeing the joy on kids' faces. But I never want to lose sight of the reason that we celebrate Christmas. It is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in today's Christmas message, I want to look back at the first Christmas, and then I want to look ahead. That first Christmas was the first coming. I want to look ahead towards the second coming of Jesus Christ that lays before us. That the Bible tells us no man knows the, or the day or the hour when it will happen, but it's coming. In the first coming, God came to earth in the form of a child, in the form of a baby. The Lord Jesus Christ was born in a manger, an animal shed, no room in the inn. But when he comes back the second time, he's not going to be looking for a hotel room. I mean, everyone knows that. He's coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it's going to be a great and glorious day. But uh, his in his first coming, and this is kind of the crux of my message today. In his first coming, there were a few people that lived with a daily expectation. They were watching and they were ready for Jesus to come. But yet most people were oblivious. And how many know it's the same thing today? You'll see as we look into the Bible, the Bible teaches us that some will be ready for the coming of the Lord, but many will not. And my message this morning is entitled, Ready and Waiting. And what my hope this morning is very simple, is that I hope you will be ready and live each day expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, let's begin by going back to the first Christmas. Uh, and we want to look at a man who was ready and waiting. Uh, there's actually two outside the, the uh, uh, of course, the shepherds that were there, and later on the wise men came. But... Uh, uh, and most of the people had no clue what was going on. Uh, but I want to look at one man in particular that was ready. His name was Simeon. Luke chapter 2, I want to I explore that first Christmas uh, as we begin. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, and this is about a week after Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus was born. Or actually, it was about a month after he was born. Uh, it was time for their purification offering. This was an offering that Mary and Joseph would bring after the child was born, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. 
So the parents took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things that happen in Jewish tradition. When a male child was born on the eighth day, he would be circumcised. It was a sign of God's covenant. They were part of the God's covenant people. And then about 30 days after that, they would come to the temple with a special offering, the purification offering. But something else they would do, if it was a firstborn child, they would present him to the Lord. In other words, they would literally say, this child belongs to you, the first and the best. Um, Verse 23, there was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. He's our hero this morning. And I want you to notice what it says. He was righteous and devout. To be devout means to be committed or devoted to God. And I want you to say this next phrase with me. He was I want all of you to say it with me. He was, we do this every week. I don't know why this is so difficult to grasp. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. This idea of rescue Israel, some translations say the consolation of Israel. Uh, verse 38 says the redemption of Jerusalem. And it, and it implies the same thing. It is that God, they were waiting for God's Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, to come to the nation of Israel and free them from their enemies and to bring comfort to them. Now I want you to notice as we read through this, this next verse is key. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And what we're going to do is we're going to read his story first, and then we're going to come back and we're going to try to find some insights how he was ready and waiting and how we too can be ready and waiting. But this is a key one. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that very day, this is key, the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. And when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, Simeon was there. How would you like to show up at the exact moment in time when the Savior of the world was being presented to God? Well, there's Simeon. Uh, He took the child in his arms and he praised God. And I I, I could just see him. You know, there's just something about a baby, Uh, particularly with women. If somebody brings a baby in the room, every woman, it seems like, in the room wants to hold that baby. Uh, Some guys do, but it's just like you just want to love on that little child. Well, Simeon got to do that, and he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, for I have seen your salvation, key word, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people Israel. Now, here's a question I want to ask you today. What was so special about Simeon? Why was he so privileged to be told by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was in the temple? You see, most people didn't even realize what was going on. They had no clue uh, what was happening. They weren't ready. They were preoccupied with other things. But the key is in verse 23. Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, I want to suggest to you that there's a parallel between his waiting for the first coming... And God's intent that you and I would have an eagerly, it be eagerly waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, how did Simeon know this? Well, we're going to get deeper into it, but obviously he knew because the Holy Spirit told him. But there's another way he knew. He knew because the prophets had written uh, details about this first coming of Christ. If you're here today and maybe you're watching online, Maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you're not sure if there is a God. Maybe you're an atheist and somebody just kind of made you come or you're here out of curiosity. 
But I think one of the greatest rational, reasonable, scientific proofs that the Christ, of the validity of the Christian faith is fulfilled prophecy in the Bible. Literally, in this case, I'm going to read two prophecies. There are dozens that talk about different aspects of the life of Jesus Christ, but two in particular written 700 years before he was born. The first one predicted the town. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judah, in other words, uh, every uh, of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Judah, these tribes had, multi, had numbers of families and they would go out and they would start villages. And uh, out of one of the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. This is talking about Jesus, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus was old and had a beginning, but it's language that describes Jesus as eternal. For example, he's called the Ancient of Days. He's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's called the beginning and the end. He's called the first and the last. The one who was and is and is to come. There's an eternal sense to this scripture. And another prophecy is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah made an even more startling prophecy. His was not to predict the village, but his to, was to predict the, 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 the immaculate conception. That is something that has happened one time and will never happen again in the history of the world. Where a woman became pregnant, not because of intercourse with the man. I mean, today, obviously, we have in vitro fertilization where, where doctors and skill, uh, people skilled in their trade can help a person become pregnant. But this is, was not like that. This, somehow, the Holy Spirit came on her. Listen, uh, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. She shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Isaiah is literally predicting that God himself is going to leave heaven, come to earth, be born a man, live a perfect life uh, out of his love, uh, love for us. Now, we're going to come back to Simeon in just a second, but I, I want to lay some groundwork about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Everybody that's celebrating Christmas somehow knows Jesus is connected. You know, if you're a bit older, you remember when uh, uh, Charlie Brown, how many remember Charlie Brown's Christmas? I mean, it was the highlight of the net, whatever network would show it that year. Uh, this year, they probably tend to hide it. Uh, we've become a secularized nation. We used to be a nation. I remember when I was a boy uh, on the, uh, the county courthouse where I lived, we had a manger scene. It was popular to have manger scenes on courthouses all over America. Well, in the last 40, 50 years, there's been lawsuits, and you don't see that as much. Now the shift is, you know, towards Santa Claus, and Jesus gets forgotten. But I, I want to uh, uh, encourage you to see, uh, and so people are aware that there was a first coming of Jesus. Uh, many of the Christmas songs are still come. They're about his birth. But I can guarantee you, most people in America are clueless about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Most people are clueless that one day Jesus will come again. And this time when he comes, it won't be as a baby in a manger, but it'll be as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to what the Bible says, Acts chapter 1. And when we read the Bible, we often say a Bible story. And I think that undermines the historical veracity of the Scripture because the Bible is not just a, an inspirational book for the Christian. It's a history book for the human race. It is a book to which archaeology continually gives credibility. 
It is a book through which fulfilled prophecy give credibility. But in this history book, it records an event that happened. I mean, for example, uh, none of us question uh, many events of history. None of us question whether Julius Caesar reigned in the Roman Empire. None of us question whether George Washington crossed the Delaware River. Well, how many know he didn't have an iPhone and nobody took his picture? I mean, George and the guys didn't have a bunch of selfies going across there on that cold night. No, somebody wrote it down, and because of the historical document, we believe that it was true. Well, see the Bible in the same way. Acts chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus was lifted up. Now, this is after the resurrection, after the crucifixion first, then the resurrection. He's alive from the dead. Then he spends several weeks with his disciples, and now what theologians call the ascension. Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He didn't have to flap his wings. When Jesus came in a resurrection body, he could appear at will in a room. He could appear at will on a road, the road to Emmaus, and then disappear. Well, in this case, Jesus lifted up and he disappeared in the clouds. Verse 10, two men stood by the disciples in white robes. And they said, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now listen, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, say it with me, will Another lesson again. We'll come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he is coming again. Some would argue that there are two comings. The first coming, as it were, is what's called the rapture of the church. You remember, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Powerful truth that's taught in the Bible when Jesus comes back for his church. But the Bible also teaches that one day Jesus will literally put his foot on the mountain in Jerusalem. One day Jesus will establish his rule here on the earth. These angels said, Jesus is coming in the same way you saw him go. The book of Revelation even postulates the same thing. It said, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. So the Bible clearly predicts it. (coughs) Excuse me, not COVID, okay? But every eye will see him. Um, In the book of Revelation... The book of Revelation is a book of end-time events. Uh, Jesus' coming is is intertwined in these end-time events. I'm not concerned about sequence, but I want to tell you that when Jesus comes back to the earth, there's going to be things that are happening. In one verse in the end of the book of Revelation, Satan and evil and the Antichrist are all thrown into the bottomless pit. They are uh, thrown into a real place called hell to be there forever. Uh, in, In the latter part of the days, Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a new heaven And a new earth. Listen, you don't have to be afraid. Now hear me on this one. A lot of us are afraid that our, the fact that we, to some level, don't care about the environment. And you know we do. But the earth is going to be destroyed. Unless you can get on a spaceship to Mars to to save yourself. Listen, friend, don't buy into that. How many know there's going to be the destruction of this planet, but it's not going to be because we have destroyed it. The Bible says God's going to destroy it with fire, and Revelation teaches us there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to have somewhere we're going to live. The the, the Bible in these end-time events, it closes with the eternal abode of the believers of Christ in a real place called heaven, and also the eternal abode of those who rejected Christ in a real place called hell. Now, that's the facts of this second coming. But let me kind of give you an example of preparation for it. Because it's not just enough to know that it's going to happen. How many know we want to be prepared? I'm going to shift there. Um, Just as we prepare for Christmas, we need to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I put up my Christmas tree about, oh, five days before Thanksgiving. How many, I'm going to see who put their Christmas tree up earliest. Who put their Christmas tree up uh, on Thanksgiving? Wave your hand at me here. Keep your hand up now. You put your tree up on Thanksgiving. Okay, I see a couple people. How about who you put your tree up a week before Thanksgiving? Okay, uh, about six hands. Let's keep them up now. How about two weeks before Thanksgiving? When did you put your tree up? August. In August. <laughs> okay. When did you put your tree up? All the way in the back. A week before Thanksgiving. How about back here somebody raised their hand? What'd she say? November 15th. November 15th. Now that's early, but August wins it. <laughs> August wins it. I don't know what the prize is for Peggy today, but she gets the prize. Now, I want you to think about preparing. I can guarantee you she's bought her gifts as well. You've got mine, right? Yeah, good. Okay, I, she's just ready for it. But let's, let's think about Christmas. Can, what would you think about someone who on Christmas Eve is going to put up their tree and go shopping after work for Christmas presents? First time. How many know there's not going to be much on the shelves of Sam's? I mean, no, there's not going to be much in the mall, and you can't fight for your size. But what if it got worse? What if your preparation started Christmas morning, and you've got little kids now that are going to get up early, and you got up out of bed pretty early, you had to go find the box where it was, and you can't find the angel, and you got lights that aren't working, and then the kids come down, and there's no presents, and they go to the window, and they put their little nose against the window, hoping that Amazon is going to be on the UPS truck. Now, how many can say that guy was not prepared because how many know no UPS trucks on Christmas? Well, is it perhaps a parallel of preparing for Christmas and preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Is it perhaps a parallel between those that are not prepared and it's too late on Christmas morning? This is what I'm talking about. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 about the second coming. There's three chapters in the New Testament where Jesus talked about the last days. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, say this with me, No one, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Now, you can know the general season, but this is why we can't assume that we'll get ready tomorrow. This is why you cannot assume that when the kids grow up, you'll get serious about God. When you finish your degree, you'll get serious about God. When you retire, you'll get serious about God. Listen, friends, now is the hour. Verse 37, Jesus said, when the Son of Man, that's him, when he returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Now, you remember Noah. Noah was warned by God to build this giant ark. Imagine the size of a football field. And he was going to preserve the human race. It took 100 years who knows how many trips he had to make over to Ace Hardware, Lowe's, or Home Depot, wherever he went. But it's my joke, okay? But, but when he would go, he would talk to people about the Lord, but no one seemed interested. He's called in the New Testament a preacher of righteousness. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 38. People were enjoying parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize and I'm going to suggest to you that's one of the most pointed phrases in my whole message. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came, that's judgment, and swept them all away. 
And then Jesus said words that must grab us today. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. In other words, most people were not, uh, will not be ready when Jesus comes. Most will be preoccupied with everyday life. Though we are ready for Christmas, most people will be like December 24th and December 25th looking for presents. It's sobering. Jesus then said this, Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, presumably by the Lord. The other will be left. And so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. The sense is a century. You that have served in the military, you can imagine you were in Vietnam. You can imagine if you're, if you're a, a, a patrol, your, your guys are out on patrol at night. And uh, uh, it's time to go to bed and not everybody sleeps. I mean, you've always got people who are supposed to be awake and they're supposed to be watching in case the enemy comes. And if they're sleeping, guess what? The enemy comes and they destroys them. Well, this is the idea. you got to keep watch. You don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, she would have her shotgun in the living room and she'd be ready for him. That's what it says. He'd keep watching, not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be, say it with me, ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So what does that mean, preacher? Does that mean I quit my job and just stay home, read my Bible all day? No. Does that mean I join a monastery and become a monk or a nun? No. But I do want to tell you what it does mean. And now I want to go back to Simeon. You remember, he was our example. He was waiting expectantly. And I want us to glean a little bit from Simeon's life and glean about something that Jesus said in Matthew 24, how we can be ready all the time for the coming of the Lord. Punch your neighbor and say, it sounds like it's going to be good. Well, don't punch your neighbor then. It's okay. Your social distancing. Pardon me. Let me tell you the first thing. It's verse 23 of Luke 2. Simeon was committed to a close relationship with God. Now, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. He had a close relationship with God that was not just going to church on Sunday, so to speak, or going to church on Easter or, 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 or uh, uh, Christmas. It was a vital relationship with God, and he was deeply committed to the Holy Spirit. Let's read Luke 2.23. Simeon was righteous and devout. Devout means devoted to God. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Here's what I want to suggest to you. Because he was righteous and devout is why he was, he was eagerly waiting. Now, let me talk about this idea of being righteous and devout. Devout's an easy word. Devout means committed. Uh, and I want to tell you today, I'm more committed at this time of my Christian life than I was in my early Christian life. In the early part of my Christian life, uh, when I just started, I just was glad I was going to heaven. Uh, and then one day I began to, and I never gave a penny to anybody about for anything. I mean, you know, I always had something on my list. I was in the Navy and I didn't have that much money. And, uh, but when Jesus got a hold of me, I began to change. And before I know it, I'm tithing. And before I know it, like now, I mean, today my wife gives in our Christmas, to Christmas offering, to missionaries, to Bibles, to the building, to everything there is. Not because I have to, and not because I'm the pastor, but because there's just something about me. I've grown more committed in my life. My prayer life reflects it. My Bible reading reflects it. This word righteous, how many understand the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one? 
all of my righteousness is as filthy rags. So, so, God, uh, so I can't make myself righteous. When I come to Christ and my sins are forgiven, the Bible says God will what's called imputed righteousness. He will give me, he will make me righteous because of what Christ did. But having said that, God expects us to live a righteous life. In other words, he expects us to live by the commands of Scripture. He expects us to do what's right instead of what's wrong. He expects us to, 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 to be the same in the, in the light as we are in the dark. Well, uh, and how many know, the more you live that way, the closer you get to God. And I want to suggest to you, Simeon was a man that was just walking the straight and narrow, not because he had to, but because he loved God. Now, there's nothing more important I could tell you how to be ready for the Lord to come back. You say, well, now how do I do that every day? I, I, I'll give you a, an idea. And you can train yourself to do this. When you wake up in the morning, let the first thing that come out of your mouth say, good morning, Lord. I didn't say, good Lord, it's morning. Good morning, Lord. I'm trying to discipline myself to get on my knees and say, Lord, this is your day. And tell the Lord... Lord Jesus, I want to live for you today. I want to serve you. At some point in your morning, read your Bible and pray. And then when you leave your house, you're not going to work. You're going on a mission for God. You're out to do something. You're out to serve the Lord. And you see, wherever you are, whether you're at Cooper Tire, whether you're at Wadley Hospital, what you do is simply you're on a mission field and you're serving the Lord. People will come across your pathway. You will pray for them. Dorothy's worked at Hobby Lobby forever, and they say it's, it's nothing to see her praying with people throughout the day at Hobby Lobby. It's a Christian company. Well, we're serving the Lord throughout the day. Every time we eat a meal, we bow our head and say what? Thank you, Lord, for giving me food. We live our day. At the end of the day, you get ready to get back in bed. For me, I get on my knees. But at least to say, Lord, good night. Watch over me as I sleep and let me do your will again tomorrow. It's like you're trying to live the Christian life uh, 24-7. Let me understand what I'm talking about. And let me add something to that about relationship. We want to seek to get to know and to follow the Holy Spirit just like Simeon did. You know, Jesus made this incredible promise. The Holy Spirit is God in us. When we become a Christian, we, it's a prayer we pray. And we say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Well, how does the Lord come into your life? The Holy Spirit comes, and he's a part of your life. Jesus said he's our helper. He's going to teach us everything. And what I suggest to you today is you can get to know the Spirit of God. You can get to know his closeness. You can get to know his voice. Listen to what happened to Simeon. Um, Luke chapter 2 verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him and he revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. You say, well, how did he do that? The same way he could do it today. You might have a dream. You might have a vision. There might be a prophecy. There just may be a sense from the Lord. You know, when I, the remarks that I shared before I, just before I preached, when I came up here, and if you heard what I said, I said, I believe the Holy Spirit has burdened me for people in the church that are struggling with depression and being down during the holiday season. I didn't do that in the other two services, but I just felt the burden of the Lord. And I shared that with people, and I bet it ministered to them. I bet it helped them. But this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Not spooky, weird, or mystical. You don't have to ask the Lord and say, oh, Lord, shall I go to Walmart? 
or super one. You don't have to do that. You're just trying to walk each day being sensitive to God. Well, this is what he had. Listen to what happened. The Holy Spirit revealed he wouldn't die. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Can you imagine how incredible that is? The Holy Spirit led him and nobody else to the temple. Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, and Simeon was there. Well, can I tell you, the same Holy Spirit's living in us today. And doesn't it just make sense that if we're close to the Lord and we're walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit's going to help us be prepared for the second coming. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, let me give you another one that may surprise you. Again, the next two that I'll give you are not feelings or relationship with God, but they're what we're doing. It's what we've committed our hand to. Uh, Luke 2.29, Simeon was committed to the task of world evangelization. Now, stay with me on this one. Look at verse 29. Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, I have seen your salvation. Now, isn't that the strangest thing to say when you're holding a baby? He's looking at Jesus and he says, I've seen your salvation. In other words, I've seen the way it'll be through a cross one day that the sins of humanity can be forgiven. And the relationship with God that Adam messed up, Adam and Eve, can be brought back together. I've seen your salvation. But listen to what he said. Which you've prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. This is why the Christian mission is to take God's word, the gospel, to all the nations of the earth. Uh, my wife did this over Thanksgiving. I've been teasing her about it a little bit, but I'm so, so proud of her. Uh, she left me this Thanksgiving. And I had a great Thanksgiving with Bethany and uh, her in-laws. But uh, uh, she went to Mexico. And I quizzed her if she had a boyfriend down there. And she assured me she didn't. That's a joke, okay? I, I, I'm trying. No, uh, you know, Linnell has made relationship with uh, uh, some of the most impoverished uh, and, and, and people in Mexico, but uh, the most unreached people group. Christianity Today, and it's probably been 30, 40 years, the magazine, when it was a good conservative Christian thought, um, they declared that the, uh, the Indians in uh, Chiapas, the Chamula Indians, were the most violent people group in the Western Hemisphere. But Danny's been down there many times. We built churches on mountains and whole villages come to Christ. And now, the, the, now tens of thousands, who knows, hundreds of thousands have become Christians. And Linnell has, has been going down there. And normally they have a big conference this time of the year. But because of COVID, they couldn't do it. So they asked her, would you come and would you minister to the overseers? So there's about 20 women that are there, and, and that was her primary ministry. But each of those women and her, their husbands oversaw from 5 to 12 churches. So she went down on Thanksgiving, not because she doesn't like me or love me or didn't want to cook. She went down there because of the burden for world evangelization. Are you with me today? The same burden we should have for our neighbors that don't know Christ. Uh, Jesus came the first time to provide the way of salvation. He's coming the second time to get everybody that's saved. This is why our number one task on the planet it should be to populate heaven. It should be to tell people about Jesus. And we would look for opportunities every day. Uh, Linnell sold something. I don't know if it was Craigslist or something the other day. And a real nice young lady came by to get it. And uh, I went in the house. And uh, Linnell had a little church invitation. And I think she probably prayed for it and talked with it a little bit. And just made a connection with Jesus. And it would have been just as easy. I'll tell you what I did. 
um, dinner was on the table. And I said, okay, I'm going to eat. But, 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 but she stayed a little bit because she cared about it. Are you with me today? See, our paths cross with people and its mission. Listen to this verse. It's tremendous. 2 Corinthians 5. Though through Christ, God has made peace between us and himself. And God has gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we have with him. Verse 20. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. And that's not just me, the preacher. That's you. You come to church on the weekend to be prayed for, healed, ministered to, encouraged, taught, worship, but to go out in the world as salt and light. We've been sent to speak for Christ. Listen, it's as if God is calling to you through us. And this is the second thing I'll tell you. How to be ready for the second coming of Christ is see yourself as a man or a woman on a mission to reach people for Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now let's wrap up. This is the third and last one, but this is something Jesus told us, and I want you to really listen to this because most of us probably are a little afraid to share our testimony. I know I get afraid sometimes, but I don't let fear stop me. But all of us can do this last one. It is, excuse me, it's what I'm going to call faithfully serving the Lord every day. Now here's the question I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, what are you doing with your time, talent, and treasures to build God's kingdom. Let's go back to Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 45. Now, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us kind of a parable. It's about servants and a master. Well, the master is a picture of Jesus, but there's two servants in this parable. One's wise, in other words, he's preparing for the second coming, and one's foolish. Listen to what Jesus said. Now, it's the same Matthew 24, chapter Jesus said, a faithful, uh, sensible servant is one to whom the master, Jesus, can give the responsibility. This is what we're called to do. This is our task to serve of managing his other household servants and feeding them. That's just one example. This guy was responsible for making sure everybody had dinner every day. Now, verse 46, if the master returns or when Jesus returns, and finds his servant has done a good job, there'll be a what? Award. Now, let me ask you this, honest, heart to heart. How many people, when you see Jesus, want to hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Yeah. Well, this is how it happens. Um, now, but verse 48, here's the contrast. If the servant is evil, now we're thinking of the people that laughed at Noah. We're thinking of the people that were too preoccupied with everything else. In this case, he says he begins beating his other servants. He's partying. He's getting drunk. That master will return. Here's the biggest word of the message. Unexpected. This is how Jesus is coming. And he's going to assign him a place. I don't like this. With the hypocrites. And in that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's my question again. As Christ's servants, what am I doing with the abilities and resources that God has given me? Do I serve the Lord regularly? Is it just a part of my life? Now listen, I, I, I am thrilled and honored for the people that, that do uh, ushers and greeters and teach kids and all the things that are in, involved in a church. I'm thrilled with our elders. All these have a role. But you know what? You don't just have to serve the Lord in church. There's a gal in our church. She has a dance class, but she dances for Jesus. And she'll teach ballroom dancing and everything else. But what they do is, is Jesus is at the center of it. 
they'll have worship music. Uh, uh, we have a, a gal that's got an exercise studio, and they play Christian music. It's Christian. It's faith-focused. See, it's not like I've got my spiritual world and the rest of my world. It's like my spiritual world influences everything I do. So seeing ourselves as serving the Lord, and here's a great scripture that I'll close with in 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to say this with me out loud. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is never wasted. And that's the word I'll leave you with today. Serving the Lord, friends, is a great way to be ready when the master returns. Give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. So how can we be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, Simeon taught us the most important thing is our relationship with God. Simeon also taught us the importance of, uh, of world evangelism, of the salvation of the world. And Jesus told us a parable about how important it was to let serving him be a part of our everyday life. Now listen, December 25th, between now and then, in spite of all this COVID stuff, listen, I hope you enjoy Santa and gifts and parties and all that. But remember the most important thing, that Jesus Christ came the first time on Christmas morning. And as you live towards this season and the next, live every day ready or waiting and prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because it just may be sooner than we think. Come on, give him one more big hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going we're gonna to close with prayer today, and uh, we're going to have one closing song and then dismiss. Uh, let me encourage you, lots of folks here, uh, as you go, please do your best to social distance. We've got four exits, two in the back, two in the front. Uh, if you have your offering, you can drop it off there. If you're a guest, that table in the lobby, they'll give you a little gift. But I want to ask you to turn me on just a second. I don't know what's in your future, whether it's Cracker Barrel or whether it's a, something at home or whether you're going to drive through McDonald's, but, but forget all that just a second. And let me, let, me, let me ask you what the Holy Spirit said to you in this message today. What touched your heart about being ready? Because I want to pray with you about that in just a moment. Actually, maybe let me just ask right now, if you're here, say, Pastor... God was speaking to me while you were talking about being ready. And I've got some steps I need to make. Just lift your hand at me. Just wave your hand at me. Yeah, there's some things I need to do. Probably every one of us in here. But let me ask this question first. Maybe here today and say, Pastor, greatest need of my life today is, is to get right with God. Maybe you're here today and say, I, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I've not been living for him. Let me say this. I fully understand. I was raised in church. Glad mom had me go. And I know the truth, but I wasn't living it. Something happened to me. It was August 15th, 1976 in a Navy boot camp. And if I could illustrate it this way, that cross represents Christ. I lived my life like everybody. Adam and Eve kicks us out in the wrong direction. We're sinners at birth because of Adam's seed. It's inherited. And what that means is we, we put ourselves first in life. We're on the throne, and we just live our life our way. And every once in a while, we'll look back and we'll say, Jesus, I need a little help here. God, would you please? They're, they're talking about layoffs at work. Please help me. And when it passes by, you say, okay, thanks, and you keep going. But something dramatic happens. 
when you realize what you need is you need a 180 degree turn I need to stop living for myself and start living for Jesus Jesus said these words Jesus said the scripture says as many as received him to those he gave the right the privilege to become sons and daughters of God those who would believe on his name and it's like a gift maybe you buy a gift for someone that you don't see very often and Christmas morning this happens at my house at mom's house we go there for Christmas after all the kids have opened presents and everything's cleaned up and everything there's always three or four presents under the tree for some of mom's friends well I want you to imagine that mom bought that gift for the, for the friends but what if that friend never came by again what if mom called her and said hey hey come on honey I got a gift for you I want you to come by but she never comes by I mean no it would always be hers but she'd never received it well, in the same way, this is how we receive Christ. And the way we receive Christ is simple, yet it costs you everything. It's simple in the sense that you just need to humble yourself and come before God and say, God, I need to ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. And listen, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. That's that turn to the cross. And the way we do it is in the place of prayer. I want Pastor Brother Wally to come up. Wally's an elder in our church. If you're here today and say, man, that's what I need. I need to get my life right with God. I need to commit my life to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some, this is not joining the church. We just want to help you. We want to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer. Or maybe you used to walk with the Lord, and, but you got away. Today you want to recommit your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you during this song to have just a little courage and people will be clapping on the inside for you to come up and just say, Wally, would you pray for me? I need to get my life right with God. And I'm going to ask the rest of our prayer team if you'll come up right now as well. We'll close the service today during this song. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be someone that'll pray for you. But most importantly today, if you're here today and say, Pastor, God really spoke to me about something in this message about being ready for the second coming. And I've got some concerns that I've not been living that life. I'm not as close to God as I want to be, but I want to make a commitment today to get close to Him. Or maybe you do very little for reaching people for Christ, but you want to commit to it today. Or maybe that last one when Jesus talked about a faithful servant. Maybe your service is sporadic and you want to commit the Lord to the Lord that you want to serve Him all your days. I can't think of a better way to seal that today than to let somebody pray for you and just say, pray for me. I want to be ready, and I'm committing afresh to the Lord. So whatever it is right now, we're going to start with our last song, and then they'll dismiss you. But if you need to get your life right with God, you can play with Brother Wally. Otherwise, our altars are open for prayer. I love you. Thanks for coming today.
our prayer team is going to remain down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Uh, we're going to stay here and worship as long as you'd like to hang out. Uh, I think all the exits are open, so feel free to be dismissed at any time. And we just pray uh, that you'd have a blessed day today.